if you ever want a challenge, I'll let you teach, do the children's sermon. Rarely a dull moment. Um, would invite you to turn in your pew Bibles to Psalm 84. We're taking a, um, a short scriptural break from Romans. We'll return to Romans in two weeks, Romans 9. We want to be reading ahead or reviewing. Um, but Psalm 84, that is on, well, we've already read Psalm 84, the New Testament reading that accompanies this. Thank you for your forbearance, is John 4, on page 888. Um, you'll see there's a, a vital gospel link between Psalm 84 and John 4. But hear the word of God, John chapter 4, verse 1. This is the word of God. And now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, Believe me, 
The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is coming from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, um, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. You clearly, compassionately speak to us in your word. Lord, thank you as well for your Holy Spirit that helps us understand apply, live out the truth of your word. And it's our prayer, Father, that we would not only be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Pray even this morning that we would be worshipers of the one true and living God who loves us in Christ, our true, our triune God. We give you thanks always in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, on this Sunday, after Resurrection Sunday, I would invite you to turn to Psalm 84 as we consider God's gracious call to worship. You know, why Psalm 84? Um, To to whet your appetite, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, wrote this in his classic work, a devotional, The Treasury of David, wrote this about Psalm 84. If the 23rd Psalm be the most popular, the 103rd be the most joyful, the 119th the most experimental, the 51st the most plaintive, this, Psalm 84, is one of the sweet psalms of peace. As Christians, we can know peace with God through faith in Christ. But scripture calls those who possess the peace of Christ to praise him, to come before their gracious God with glad worship. Now again, keep your Bibles open to Psalm 84 as we consider what we can be learning here, what the Lord would have to teach us about loving God and longing to worship him. For those who love their gracious God will always long to worship him. Well, what does it mean then to love God and to long to worship him? We worship with a glad longing. We worship God with a glad, a gospel strength. And finally, we worship God with a gracious love in our hearts. We begin here with a gracious or a glad longing. 
uh, to worship God. Psalm 84, verses 1 through 4, that superscription that was read to us is important. It's uh, to the choir master, to the worship leader, the song director. According to the Gittith, most understand that to be a musical term. But finally, it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. You know, the sons of Korah were, were those who sang. We almost might call them a choir, but they served the Lord by singing God's praises, helping God's people to praise him. So all that is introduction, but then we hear in Psalm 84, verse 1, how lovely, how amiable is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Now that, that idea of dwelling place has been interpreted, translated, your supreme dwelling place, your tabernacles. It's most likely not the temple, Solomon's temple, uh, but to be thinking of the, the tabernacle that, that God commanded Israel to, to build, to assemble all the elements, that tabernacle that followed them, they carried through the wilderness. You know, but how lovely, how beloved is your dwelling place. And, you know, as we go through Psalm 84, it's not only the, the beauty of, of the building, that's incidental. You know, what the, what the psalmist here is focusing on is, is not architecture, but it's the awesome presence of God with his people. It's even as he praises God, he calls them, O Lord of hosts. The psalmist opens by expressing his genuine and glad longing to draw near to God in in worship, even the Lord God of hosts, the sovereign God, the commander of the armies of heaven. He gladly acknowledges God's greatness and his sovereign rule. Now, as we go through Psalm 84, and encourage you, it's always helpful to take notes, but, but if not, pay attention to all the titles for God. You know, 14 references to God. In 12 verses, and generally unique titles. You know, Lord God of hosts, Lord, living God, my king, my God, Lord God of hosts, God of Jacob, the Lord God, and there at the end, again, that title, Lord God of hosts, Lord of hosts, the book ends here to Psalm 84. He gladly declares uh, God's greatness. You know, these, these holy titles help us to worship. You know, when you're trying to jumpstart, prime your prayer life, um, open your Bibles to the psalm. Use Psalm 84. Use these titles for God. Just pray God's name back to him. It's a glad decoration, but there's a glad desire here to worship. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. And as again, as we go through Psalm 84, note it's, it's personal pronouns. You know, it's not, well, let, let us go, you know, I'll join the gang. You know, but, but Lord, may I be that, that true and faithful, glad worshiper. 
my soul longs. You know, right at the very core of his being, he longs, faints for for the courts of the Lord, to, to be in God's presence, a cry of holy longing. You know, from his soul and in the same breath there in verse 2, my heart and my flesh, you know, all of his being is involved in, in worshiping the Lord. It's not, Lord, I'm worshiping you with my lips. You know, I've got my seat in the pew. That's enough. No, Lord, all of my being is worshiping you. And as you read through that, you get the idea, the the truth that uh, the psalmist pines away when he is far from the presence of God. It's not only that he's renewed and strengthened as he worshiped the Lord, but when he's not worshiping the Lord, when he's far from God, spiritually, that that he suffers, he struggles in, in his walk of faith. You know, as St. Augustine said, or reputed to have said, our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee. You know, and the psalmist seeks to find his rest in God and in God alone. And even as he longs for the Lord, he begins to praise God. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. You know, just, just stop and meditate upon that. You know, my heart, my flesh, you know, again, at the core of my being, and yes, my flesh, not just my lips, but all of, all of me is praising you, Lord, with joy. You know, it's, it's a good reminder uh, for us, for me, you know, that, that we are to be worshiping the Lord with joy every Lord's Day, every time we come into his presence, that joy of salvation. The joy of knowing our sins are forgiven in Christ. We're we're singing for joy to the living God. We hear that same title for God used in Joshua. Israel is preparing to cross the Jordan, and we read this in Joshua 3, verse 10. Joshua 3.10, and Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you. And that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. The living God is with you. He's going before you. He will conquer uh, the enemy. There's that glad desire to worship the living God. Uh, But... uh, as well, still with that theme of gladness, we'll, we see it's a glad dwelling. Verse 3, um, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself. You know, some see this as allegory. You know, we're, we're to be like swallows and sparrows, you know, to literally live close by God's house. You know, we're to be like birds, making our homes in God's house, raising our children in the church. I do believe there is, there is that application, though, that are, not only are we as adults, parents, grandparents to be in church, but it's a good thing for children, even young children, to be 
uh, with us in the worshiping congregation. You know, a, a few observations about this verse. You know, why a sparrow? A sparrow was a common bird. Remember what Jesus said about sparrows. Matthew 10, verse 29. Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fold to the ground apart from your father. You know, God even cares for the sparrow. His eye is on the sparrow. You know, common bird. But the second bird is a swallow. We had, not sure if they're different, but up north we had swallows that would build mud nests on our buildings of the camp house we had. And uh, they were a good bird to have. It said they ate 10,000 mosquitoes in a day. But they were a messy bird. You know, but they were, they were restless. The only time you saw them take a break is when they went into the nest. You know, and so both here, sparrow, that common bird, swallow, here, that restless bird, even the sparrow finds a home, the swallow, a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, that place of security, comfort, safety, at your altar, so Lord of hosts. And the implication here is that if even birds are nesting near God's altars, you know, here think of the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, you know, those places that remind us of our sinfulness, our need for blood sacrifice, you know, the blood sacrifice of Christ there on the cross, you know. But God calls us, gladly calls us to come into his presence where we can gladly declare, here it's speaking of us, not of birds, my king and my God. Lord, you rule and reign over my life. Wisdom, love, patience, power. You're my God, the God of my salvation. And so blessed are the ones dwelling in your house, continually praising you. You're going to see that word blessed used three times here in this psalm, verse 4, verse 5. Next section, again in verse 12, carries over to the Beatitudes. Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. What does it mean to be blessed? Some say, well, it's just to be happy. Well, that's a start. But to be blessed means we're content. We know the peace of God in our hearts through faith in Christ. We have that assurance of salvation. You know, blessed, content, peaceful, satisfied are those who dwell in your house. Not that you have to be in church 24-7. Although we do have the example of Anna and Simeon there. But we're to be always worshiping the Lord. You know, at at home, family worship, yes, particularly on, on the Lord's Day. Blessed are those who long to worship you. They are continually praising you. As we're to be praying without ceasing, we're to be praising 
God without ceasing as well. John Calvin put it this way, Never will a man or a believer praise God from the heart unless relying upon his grace. He is a partaker of spiritual peace and joy. And here's that promise of God's peace and joy. I invite you to turn for a minute there to John chapter 4. Don't want to preach two sermons this morning, uh, but it's a familiar passage of Scripture. Jesus meeting with a Samaritan woman there at the well. Uh, Jesus brings a scriptural message of gospel hope to the Samaritan woman. And especially that word of hope comes about worship. Uh, Jesus deliberately goes to this well to bring her to saving faith. Jesus speaks of a spring of living water welling up to eternal life while this woman expresses that desire for water. You know, she's wary about worship. Much of John 4 teaches us about true worship of Christ. And look at John chapter 4, verse 23. Just one verse would like to highlight. John 4, verse 23, Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He's seeking true worshipers, those who will worship him in spirit, in the Holy Spirit, for God is a spirit, and in truth, the truth of his word. The Father is seeking those worshipers. Imagine that. You know, God the Father is seeking us to worship him, calling us to worship him. You know, worshipers of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, joyful worshipers of the crucified Christ and risen Savior, God is the spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Remember, later on in John, we'll hear Jesus say this, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through me. You know, we, we worship God the Father through faith in Christ the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's glad worship. There ought to be a, a glad longing uh, to worshiping the Lord. You know, that's where it starts. But now back to Psalm 84, uh, verse 5. There is to be a gospel strength uh, to worship God. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise and without taking a breath. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you. You know, literally, blessed is the man. But it applies to all believers, all genders, all races, all ages. You know, we're, we're all, we all are blessed when we know strength in God. And that strength comes through worship, a gospel strength. 
It's not strength like the strength of Samson there in Judges. It's not like the strength of David's mighty men. It's a daily strength uh, to walk with God. It's a gospel strength to resist sin and temptation. Strength to praise God. You know, even in times of testing, trial, tribulation. Not only should God's strength be in us, but psalmist takes it a step further, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. You know, God's holy highways are, are in his heart. We see a, a parallel to this, Isaiah chapter 40 Verses 3 and following, Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, when we worship God, it's a reminder that God's holy highways are, are in our hearts. You know, we're, we're following God's path. We're, we're desirous of following God's purposes for our life. You know, there, there's a beginning to this highway, not only with our birth, but our salvation. And there is a final destination, you know, to be in glory with the Lord. It's that holy highway, the highways to Zion, not just, to Mount, not just to Jerusalem, to the Temple Mount, but it's ultimately speaking of heaven here. You know, that, that gospel strength. You know, and as we know this strength, it empowers us to persevere in the faith. You know, with, with our eyes and our hearts focused on the Lord. Read an article just this past week. Uh, Matt Smethurst, I think that's how you say his name. It was on the Gospel Coalition website, and he was writing about Psalm 84. And uh, this sentence, this truth grabbed my heart, attention. He wrote, happy is the heart that isn't a cul-de-sac of self-regard. Let me read that again. Happy is the heart that isn't a cul-de-sac of self-regard. I must discover myself, express myself, be true to myself. You know, that's the world in which we live. That's the culture around us. But, but here, Scripture calls us to be countercultural. You know, not, not just to satisfy our own hearts, but in whose heart are the highways, God's highways, holy highways, you know, to Zion. You know, but there's gospel springs along the way as well. Lest we despair here, God gives us strength. Springs there in, in verse 6. You know, there's a word picture here, the valley of Baca. It can be understood either as a, a valley of tears, of weeping, or it can be an arid desert. I believe it makes more sense in context being an arid desert here. You know, in our journey of faith towards glory, our God uses us to make the dry places a place of springs. 
You know, it's not enough just to say, man, I can't wait to get through this dry spot in my life. But, Lord, am I making, you know, my family, my workplace, church, culture, you know, a place of gospel springs. You know, Derek Kidner helps us as he writes, it's a classic statement of faith which dares to dig blessings out of hardships. You know, praise God that he strengthens us to stay the course, even in dry and difficult seasons. And that's the way it has been, Um, you know, particularly these past months. You know, praise God that he sends gospel springs. You know, that Jesus is that, that living water. Joel chapter 2 verse 23 puts it this way. Joel 2 23, be glad. O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for your abundant rain and the latter rain. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and latter rain as before. It points us ahead to the spiritual renewal and refreshment that we know in Christ. You know, as we walk with the Lord, still thinking of gospel springs, look at verse 7. We're to go from strength to strength. You know, not from weakness to weakness, not even from weakness to strength. You know, but here we're called to to live by grace in the strength of God. And, And as we faithfully persevere, make our pilgrimage of faith, God promises that we're going to go from strength to strength. You know, God's not going to fail us. You know, God's not going to let us die of, of drought or famine there in the desert. You know, his presence is with us. He empowers us. You know, all along the way, Palmer Robertson wrote, all along the way they find adequate provisions and renewed energy for the trip. You know, maybe you're at that point in your walk of faith where you're saying, Lord, are you there? You know, Lord, are you with me? Uh, You know, I'm feeling pretty weak, weary, worn out, dry. I might as well just lay down here and give up. And here God gives that promise we will go from strength to strength. You know, and how does our sovereign God strengthen us? believe that one of the ways that our sovereign God strengthens us as his children, followers of Christ, is through worship, scriptural worship, the ordinary means of grace, the word, the sacraments, prayer. You know, brothers and sisters, without gathering together for holy worship, we will soon grow cold and weak in our faith. It's a spiritual battle. I believe it's going to be a a, a political battle, governmental battle in the days ahead, is even now. But the Lord calls us to gather together for worship. That's our strength, where we're strengthened in in our walk of faith. And and now there's a, a gospel supplication, even in worship, prayers, Play a vital part, component of worship there in verses 8 and 9. Psalmist moves from praises to petitions. 
from gospel strength and springs to gospel supplication, you know, four passionate pleas, and we can pray these, you know, back to God. O Lord God of hosts, and O sovereign God, hear my prayer. Lord, may I know your power even as I pray. Secondly, give ear, O, o God of Jacob. You know, the second part that encourages me, Jacob, you know, the deceiver. You know, Jacob was a scoundrel. You know, God set his grace upon him. His sons became the tribe of Israel. You know, here we see the patience of God. So the power of God, the patience of God. Third prayer, behold our shield, O God. That can also be translated, behold, O God, our shield. There the psalmist is calling God his shield. It's language from the Old Testament, Genesis 15, verse 1. Genesis 15, 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. What do we think with a shield? You know, God protects us. So God is a God of power, a God of patience, a God of protection. And the final prayer, look on the face of your anointed. Kings were anointed, so it could have been King David. But anointed also applies, more importantly, to the Messiah, to Christ. You know, look upon Christ, our great high priest, and have mercy on us, O Lord. You know, a gospel strength to worship God. You know, again... Talking with fellow pastors there at the Twin Lakes Fellowship and sharing war stories about ministry and hopeful stories as well. Lord, still at work. You know, but our, about 13 months ago, our country went into COVID 19 lockdown, impacted businesses, education, sports, health, travel, you know, impacted worship, impacted churches as well. Now, impacted us here. Had to instantly go to live streaming services with just a handful of our worship team live streaming Sunday school services, you know, morning devotionals as well online. You know, we're slowly returning to the biblical practice of cultural worship. Why do we need it? may be preaching to the choir, but I'm preaching to my own heart as well. You know, for three reasons, quickly. You know, without public church worship, we will soon grow spiritually weak, and the weeds of the world will choke us. Without public worship, secondly, we will soon grow spiritually dry and more susceptible to Satan's snares. Third, without public church worship, our hearts can slowly grow sin-hardened and we lose sight of our home in Zion with Christ. But with corporate worship on the Lord's Day where we sing God's word, pray God's word, 
read God's word, proclaim God's word, celebrate the word made flesh in Christ. You know, our, our hearts, our souls, our spirits are strengthened for that walk of faith so that we would be strong worshipers of our sovereign and saving God. Finally, uh, verses 10 through 12, uh, there is a gracious love as I worship God. So not only is there a glad longing uh, to worship God, a gospel strength to worship God, but finally a gracious love. Again, you can hear the, the psalmist love for the Lord and gratitude for the Lord's love for him, for a day in your courts, a day in your presence, a Lord's day with you is better than a thousand, New American Standard puts it, a thousand outside. You know, one day in church, one day with the Lord, not that you a physical building so much, but just spending time with the Lord, seeking his face, reading his word, praising him. You know, is is better than a thousand on the outside. You know, do do we believe that? Do I believe that? Oh man, give up one day out of seven. You know, but here the psalmist reminds us with a gracious humility. And if that's not enough, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Hard to fully figure out what it means to be a, a doorkeeper whether you literally opened and closed the door like a doorman at a nice hotel, you know, holds the door open, gives you a smile, have a nice day. But, but one who is standing in the threshold, you know, and here in tornadoes and, and hurricanes, where do you stand for safety? You stand in the threshold. I would rather be that, that humble doorkeeper in God's house then dwell in the tents of wickedness. And then there is a hope, for the Lord God is the sun and the shield. We could spend a sermon on verse 11. You know, how does he describe the Lord? As a sun, as a shield. You see that in the Old Testament, but hear this, Revelation chapter 21, verse 22 and following. Revelation 21, verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. You know, the Lord God is our sun. You know, without him, we're stumbling about in the darkness. He's our son, he's our shield, our our protector. And if that's not enough, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. For those who walk into the righteousness of Christ, who know they're sinners and yet sinners saved by grace through faith. Yes, we will go through those dry times, those difficult times. But when we worship the Lord for who he is and for his love for us in Christ, it strengthens us. It fills our hearts with joy and gratitude. It reminds us 
you know, that our home is, is in heaven. And he closes there, verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. You know, blessed is the one, satisfied, content, at peace. You know, the one who has faith in the living God who loves us in Christ. You know, reminded of the need for worship. You know, after Resurrection Sunday, and it's been a difficult year, was at the Twin Lakes Fellowship, and it, many things were sweet about it, but they had a worship service on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and when I say a worship service, it wasn't just a speaker, it was a great preacher, Dr. Joel Beakey, you know, but hymns were sung, 175 men, uh, scripture was read, prayers of confession, assurance of pardon, uh, prayers, what we could call pastoral prayers, and it was it was bomb to my soul. It's we all need, you know, by God's gracious design, you know, the strength, the hope, and the joy of worshiping Him. May we pray that our living and loving God would gladly give us that longing to worship Him, the God who loves us in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the, for the gift of worship that you have given to us. Thank you that you call us into your presence. And not only call us, but clothe us in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, we pray on this Lord's Day and on every Lord's Day and even in our family worship, private worship, Lord, that we would know your strength, your hope, your joy, your peace. Father, and pray that as you you strengthen us, sustain us, Lord, that uh, even our worship uh, would be a witness uh, to the redeeming love of Christ. And we give you the praise always in Jesus' name. Amen.